Well, good morning, Rock Harbor. So good to see everyone this morning. Hey, if you are a dad here and you made it to church, I know this is kind of your day, right? But you came to church. You did a really good thing today. Even better, if you brought your family here, good job. So go ahead. Let's go ahead and give all the dads in the house a, a big round of applause. You know, it's, it's kind of funny. On Mother's Day, you know, it's a jam-packed house. Everyone's just saying, Mom... You're so amazing. Everything that you do, uh, words just can't express. And, you know, on Father's Day, it's kind of like, what's the matter with you, right? Uh, get your act together. You know, the, the pastors, you know, it's like a drive-by shaming, and the pastor's in the, the getaway car at the end of service. So, uh, guys, we don't want that to be the case today. Uh, we want you to feel encouraged and uplifted. Okay, all right, we're good. We're back. Second uh, Corinthians um, 8, uh, 16 through 24. And last week we got to hear from uh, John Elliott, and it was a great message just talking about generosity and really what that looks like. He had some really cool analogies, use this McDonald's analogy, but um, definitely give it a listen. Uh, if you missed any messages, you could uh, go ahead and check those out on the app or log on and see any of our previous, uh, previous messages uh, here at Rock Harbor. So I encourage you guys to do that. So uh, we're jumping back into Second Corinthians, and Paul keeps talking about this guy, uh, this guy named Titus. And he's always speaking some, you know, real flowery language about this man. And so uh, we're going to just kind of jump into his life a little bit and, and see what he was all about. So we're just going to jump back into, uh, right back in. If you have your Bibles, you go ahead and pull those out. Old school paper, that's great. New school, you got a phone, that's awesome too. But if you don't have a Bible, well, that's a problem. So go ahead and uh, direct your attention to the screen if you don't. So uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 8, 16 uh, through 21, we're just going to start off with. It says, But thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course uh, so that no one should blame us about the generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim uh, at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, uh, but also in the sight of man. So, we don't know a whole lot about this man uh, named Titus. You know, the Bible uh, speaks about him. Paul uh, speaks a lot about him. Uh, he, he, does, he doesn't actually speak in the New Testament, but uh, Paul, you know, talks about him a lot. And we find that he was actually the recipient uh, of a letter, uh, Titus. It has three chapters, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3. And, you know, it's kind of a situation where he doesn't actually speak, so we kind of have to extrapolate what someone else is saying about him. And so, you know, Paul says uh, that he's an encourager and a comforter. He says that he's very earnest and, and trustworthy, trustworthy enough in this situation that uh, they're asking Titus to oversee the finances of the church, uh, which in that day, and uh, in, even in this day, is, is a pretty big deal. Um, Paul boasted about him, and to really think through the fact that Paul was boasting about somebody, uh, that's a, actually a pretty big deal because everything that Paul had been through, uh, everything uh, that ha Paul had endured, and in order for him to say, hey, you can hang with me, and, and then I'm going to really speak some high language about you, uh, that's actually a pretty big deal. So all this to say, it really boils down to 
uh, one word, and that word is uh, commendation. And if you have your Bibles, you could actually see that there's little subtitles over uh, certain passages of Scripture, and this subtitle is uh, the commendation of Titus. And so this word commendation, it's actually a pretty big deal. It's, it's the act of praising or approving of something uh, or someone. Uh, it's an award, a recognition, uh, or showing honor towards something. So to use this word commendation, that really means that there's uh, quite a, a great deal of recognition that goes along uh, with this person or, or thing. So we could see the Congressional Medal of Honor. That's the, the highest military uh, distinction and commendation and recognition uh, for a valor uh, above and beyond the line of duty to, to place your life above the, li- above the lives of others. Uh, we could also see the Nobel uh, Peace Prize. That's an intellectual or uh, philanthropic commendation. And then how many of you guys watch the NBA Finals? Anybody? Anybody? It's a little scattered, you know. It's like Golden State every year, blah, blah, blah. So we got uh, Kawhi Leonard, who just got the, the, the Finals MVP. Uh, the question is, would you have played Durant or not? You got have to follow basketball to follow that one. But um, all those are kind of uh, commendations. And part of receiving a commendation is that, you know, you're going about things. You're, you're of high character. You're, you're doing things the right an honorable uh, thing, and, and then you're also doing it the right and honorable way. And, and you're doing it regardless of who's watching, regardless of who your audience is. And, and we should be doing it, hopefully, uh, to not make much of ourselves, uh, but to make much of God as followers of Christ. And so, you know, when we, when we step into these things of val- valor and honor and doing things that are commendable, you know, that's the, that's the power of God. That's a, the attributes of God living and working and breathing uh, through us. And so Paul uses this word earnest. And the, the word earnest is, to, is a severe and, and intense conviction to do the right thing. And that's something that Titus demonstrated on his own accord. He wasn't told what to do. It was genuine and altruistic in nature. Verse 17, it says, But being himself very earnest, he is going to you on his own accord. And so, you see, Paul had entrusted this man with much. He found him to be dependable. He, he had Titus deliver uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians, and then, and then there's this um, painful letter in between there that Titus also delivered, and then now he's delivering this letter uh, of 2 Corinthians. And, and all the while, um, Titus had been, you know, charged with overseeing aspects of the church, and we could see here that he's uh, being charged with overseeing uh, the finances of the church. And so uh, we could actually even say that Titus was commendable, and dependable. So that's your first fill-in. Now, how's that for a rhyme, right? I mean, commendable and and dependable, that's all you get from the Asian assassin, okay? All right, that's my rapper name, in case you guys were wondering. No, not really. That'd be bad. So these are some characteristics that we should all wish to have spoken of us, right? You know, a goal that we should have uh, in the Christian um, walk, you know, to be commendable and, and dependable, to be known for our good works, right? And so we know that um, good works don't get us into heaven, right? Nothing uh, changes our standing before God other than accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This standing, this justification does not depend on good works. We can't work our way into heaven. 
the only work that we could really rely on is the redemptive work that Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So what we do or don't do other than accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior doesn't change our standing before God. However, it's very important as far as what we're to do with this life. You know, just because uh, our, our justification and our salvation isn't dependent on works, that doesn't give us a free pass when it comes to doing works for the kingdom of God. So it's when we come to grips with what God has done for us, you know, that outpouring, uh, that overflow of the amazing grace that he's given us. When we realize and recognize all that he's done for us, that's when he can, we can step into the things that he has proportioned for us. We really have to say, oh my goodness, Christ, you have done so much for me. How, how can I, I not be obedient to the things that you've been calling me uh, to do? And so, uh, you know, this life, you know, it's so short. God has called us to so much. He tells us again and again throughout Scripture that, that we're supposed to do something with the gifts and the talents that we've been given. In Ephesians, he tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called. In Hebrews 10.24, it says, Let us stir one another up uh, for works and good deeds. And Jesus says, Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father in heaven. In James 2.18, he says, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And so what we do with what God has given us actually matters, and it's very important. And so we need to ask ourselves that question, God, what have you given us And what are we supposed to be doing with what you've given us? And so whatever and wherever this looks like in your life, you know, maybe it's in the workplace. You know, just because uh, you work at church doesn't mean you're not in full-time ministry. I mean, God has uh, given us all gifts to to do things, to uh, draw people close to him. Uh, So really, you know, just think through that as far as what you do, how you carry about yourself, uh, or how you carry yourself in the workplace. Or or maybe it's at the home, you know, just that God has given me a family and and a a husband and a wife, and, and, you know, just making sure that my my kids and my my marriage are are reflections uh, of of God and what he's done for us. Or, Or serving maybe in the various ministries here at the church. Um, you know, God, you know, we have uh, over, I don't know how many volunteers every week, but there's a lot. And so just to say, like, you know, God, I'm using these gifts to, to make sure that my life here is, is purposeful uh, for your kingdom. You know, sometimes you're at situations or seasons in your life where it's actually tough to take some steps uh, of obedience. Or, or uh, we're saying, I know God has called me to do this, but, you know, it's so hard to really kind of take this step of faith obedience uh, or, or courage. And so, so we just don't, we don't want to get to the end of this life. We, we don't want to get to the end of this life with a bunch of would-haves and, and could-haves and, and should-haves, right? You know, we want to get to this end of, the, end of this life and say, Lord, uh, I've been found faithful for what you've given me. The Bible actually talks about five different crowns that you may receive when you get to heaven, the, the imperishable crown, the, the, the crown of rejoicing, 
the crown of life, the crown of righteousness, and the crown of glory. And I believe that the greatest commendation that we could have and, and what we should be looking forward when, when God tells us, when, when, when we go to heaven, to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Because you've been faithful over a little, I will place you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So let's, as a church, you know, just step into the amazing work that's at hand. Let's do it to God's glory in his glory alone, really changing and thinking through our mindset. You know, uh, oftentimes uh, we're just, you know, getting clawed into just everything that this world has to offer. It's so trivial. It's so transient. It's so perishable. It's not going to be here. And, and we just kind of put aside the things that are eternal, the things that are heavenly, the things that are imperishable. And so just really trying to think through God. What are some things that you've placed in my life that are going to make an impact for all of eternity? Well, that sounds great. I mean, you know, that's what we should all want to do. But sometimes that's easier said than done. You know, depending on where you're at in life, that could actually be kind of somewhat of a precarious place to step into. Because I know in this room there are many individuals that have done that. They said, Lord, I'm going to answer your call. I I know it's hard. But I'm going to put all my chips in. I'm going to put all my eggs in the basket. And I'm going to take a step of obedience and, and to answer what you've proportioned for me. And then what happens isn't what we thought things, the way things would look like. And in fact, it, it actually looks nothing like what we thought. Because, you know, there's, there's a lot of hurt. And there's a lot of, there, people are just sinful. And, and things happen. And, and we ask ourselves a question, you know, uh, you know why God? Why, why are you allowing this to happen to me. You know, you might say, I did that once before, and you know what? I'm just not going to do that again. I'm going to say, that was so tough. Like, I'm just not going to go there. And it makes it hard to trust. And for many, it actually makes it hard to keep the faith and to say, man, I did that. And Lord, I just don't see what you're doing. And that's why we need to Go back to Scripture, and even in this, this passage, even a, a commendation of Titus' passage, it says in verse 22, And with them we are sending our brother whom we have often tested. Whom we have often tested. Titus was tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. So we could see uh, that Titus had received Paul's commendation because he had been tested. And so that's your next villain. No rhyme with this one. Uh, he had been tested and found earnest in many matters. See, I, could, I can guarantee that, that Titus had been tested. Because if you're a Christian in the early church, um, that's all there was. It was testing, trials, uh, suffering. You probably didn't have to look very far to find someone uh, who had been uh, either beaten or imprisoned or even martyred for their faith. That's just kind of how it went. And, and even worse, in the church of Corinth, you know, this is kind of like the epicenter of hedonism. You know, it's just kind of like downtown Vegas or something. And they're trying to, you know, plant this church. Like, good luck. Uh, and so, you know, those are things that Titus undoubtedly ha- had to endure and Titus had, 
had been through testing. And so, so many in this room, myself included, we go through these seasons of, of trials, of, of testing, uh, of suffering. And it's that age-old question that everyone has asked ourselves. Lord, why do you allow such great suffering and pain to your people? Like, God, aren't we supposed to be protected? Aren't we supposed to have some coverage through these difficult seasons? And, and you know, why, why is this so painful? Or even worse, like, God, why do you allow the wicked to, to prosper? You know, I see so-and-so over there. Oh my gosh, you know what he did? You know what she did? Blah, blah, blah. But things just seem to be going hunky-dory. And I'm over here in just the bottom of the bottoms. And I just don't get that. I don't understand it. And so what, what the heck does it mean to, to suffer well? Or, or to rejoice in your suffering? You know, I don't know about you, but that's, that's very difficult. But we have to come to grips and we have to understand that, that testing that trials, that seasons of suffering are part of the Christian life. It's, it's inevitable. It's actually what we're called to do. It's almost as if it's a rite of passage, that, that God is trying to do a work within us, develop perseverance and endurance, and try to establish fortitude in our lives. And so, you know, to be able to say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race. And then after that, I kept the faith. There's a, a Scottish pastor in the 1600s, Samuel Rutherford. And he made this statement, you know, I, I found that the king, the king God, kept his finest wines in the cellars of affliction. That's great, John. Are you telling me to go drink in my basement? No, I'm not saying that. But sometimes... God's greatest pearls, we have to dive deep into the oceans of despair. John Piper stated, I've never heard anyone say the really deep lessons of life have come in times of ease and comfort, right? You know, it's easy to follow after God when you're sipping iced tea, the sun's shining on your patio, you don't have a care in the world. That's, you know, I know for me, it's like, Lord, you're amazing. That's what we should be doing. He's blessing you with the time and a season. Uh, but, uh, you know, he continues and says, but I've, ne- but I've heard many saints say, every significant advance I've ever made in grasping the depths of God's love and growing deep in him have come through suffering. Tim Keller, Tim Keller states, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And so this week when writing this, I was just like, man, I was just broken over this. Because there's just so much pain. There's so much hurt. We meet with so many people. There's so much despair. There's so much uncertainty. And you just can't get your mind wrapped around it. You read through the weekly prayer requests. I, I think through some of the, the dark and devastating times in my own life. And you just have to ask yourself the question, Lord, why? Why do you allow this? Why do you allow your people to go through these difficult seasons? But we have to trust and place our trust in a sovereign, all-knowing, almighty God that works 
all things out according to his purposes. That works all things out according to his perfect will. And so oftentimes, we look through a dimly lit mirror. A dimly lit mirror that we don't see what's waiting on the other side. And we might not ever see until we get to heaven. But we have to put our faith, we have to put our trust in God. And there's, there's four things that, just real quick, that, that we could really hold fast to when it comes to seasons of suffering. Number one, we have to know and understand that the devil is at work. He is um, a roaring lion seeking to devour. He is a, a slanderer. He is a, a liar and the father of lies. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. And make no mistake that there's nothing that makes him happier. If he could see you go through a difficult season, and just throw in the towel and walk away from the faith. And many of us have been teeter-tottering there at different seasons in our life. And that's what the devil wants to do. So we have to recognize that there's an enemy at hand and you have a target on your back. Number two, God is trying to teach us something through this difficult season. You know, like I said, we don't know that, but oftentimes many of us in this room have got to other aspects of our life and we look back at that difficult time and you say to yourself, I see exactly what you're doing through that season, God. Even though it's hard, you're able to say, I knew what you're doing. And you don't, might, might not have all the answers, but you can trust that God is God. Or maybe God is trying to prepare us for the next battle that's going to be ensuing, that he wants to develop these things. So when you get to that next precipice, you're going to be able to say, Lord, I've been there, I've done that, and I know what I'm supposed to do. Or maybe God is protecting you from something far much worse. And then the fourth thing, which can be said about every person in this room that's gone through a season of suffering. God is trying to pull you in and remind you that I am God. That I've got this. That I love you. That I'm going to protect you. I'm going to uphold you in my righteous hand. And we always have to go back to Scripture because this theme is present. We have three different apostles saying, saying the same thing. In, in James, it says, 1.12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for after he has stood the test, the test, after he has withstood the test, he will receive the crown of life, the crown of life that we just finished talking about which God has promised to those who love him. 1 Peter 4, 12 and 13, it says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that has come upon you to test you. But, but rejoice as if, or, you know, do not be surprised as if something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you may share in Christ's sufferings. So you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Rejoicing in your sufferings. And finally, 2 Corinthians four seventeen and 18, for this light, this light momentary affliction, when we get to heaven, all of the afflictions are going to feel and be and see light and momentary. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient and the things that are unseen 
are eternal. You see, again, our view and perspective on life is so finite and limited, and God is preparing you, God is preparing me, and God is preparing every person that calls upon the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior. He's preparing us for an eternal way to glory, an eternal commendation, an eternal recognition, an eternal crown. And I would challenge all of us in this room that are going through that right now might be in a difficult season to trust. To say, I know this is tough because following after Christ isn't and it never has been for the faint of heart. But to say, I trust you. You are my rock. You are my fortress. You are my deliverer. See, Titus had been tested and found true. And may that be said of us as well. We could pick back up In verse 23, it says, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you and these men. And the third point is Titus was the benefactor of discipleship. See, Paul was continually reaching back and pouring into individuals. And I guarantee that Titus was one of these individuals. He says, as for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. Notice he didn't say, Titus is my apprentice. Notice he didn't say, Titus is my Padawan. He's saying that Titus is my fellow worker. And so just to think through that, Titus didn't arrive there. I guarantee Paul had to pour into Titus for him to arrive at this position to say, Titus is my partner, my fellow worker. He was a a mature believer, a spiritual adult, if you will, and Paul had played a huge part in this process. And so so I just want to ask all you guys, just take a moment and think through all the individuals that have poured into you over the years. You know, who have been your mentors in the faith? Maybe it was your mom, maybe it was your dad, maybe it was a brother, maybe it was a sister, maybe it was an uncle, an aunt, a a grandparent. Maybe it was your pastor, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a a teacher. Uh, Any of these individuals in your life, a close friend, who poured into you to get you here to sit into the seat today? Where would we be if we didn't have those individuals in their life? Where would we be if none of those individuals of the early church decided to uh, spread the gospel? Our faith would come to a screeching halt. And so just realizing that our, our mission statement here is to love and lead one another to be devoted followers of Jesus. And so ask yourself the question, who are your one another's? Who are you loving? Who are you leading? You know, I know this is Father's Day, and we're going to talk to the guys here in a second. But I just want to say a quick word for all the women and for, for the moms. You know, just to share a little bit of my story. Um, I was adopted when I was 18 months old um, from Korea. Uh, so anyone have any good Korean, Irish, or Jewish jokes? I didn't think so. That's good. Uh, so, uh, okay, that's not the word I had for the women today. But, but I was raised in a Christian home. But being raised in a Christian home, uh, my father wasn't a Christian. And in, in fact, um, he never once went to church. And he didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, so I, I just want to say, if, if you have a mother, first off, you have a mother. If you have a mother that follows after Christ, you need to thank the Lord for that. 
If you have a father, if you have a father, and if you have a father that follows after Christ, you need to thank the Lord for that. If you have a father and a mother who both follow Jesus, you have no idea the gift you've been given. And I didn't have a father that led me according to the truth, but what I did have, I I had this amazing, fully devoted saint of a woman called my mom. And the impact that she had on my life and my entire family's life is going to remain for all of eternity. And and so it's kind of funny, like, when we'd fake, I'd fake sick, I don't know about you guys, I mean, fake sick from school, right? I mean, not not a regular basis, but once in a while, you know, just don't feel like going to school. It's kind of like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, right? That's a great movie until you watch it with your kids, right? Like, okay, we're turning that off. But, you know, faking sick from school, it's like, oh, Jonathan, I know, just take a day off, just sleep. But, but if I ever tried to fake sick from, sir, from church, believe me, it just was not happening. It's like, you know, I'm dying over here, and you're going to church. And, you know, don't do that. Don't bring your sick kids to church, okay? Our kids wouldn't be happy. Uh, but, but even to this day, she's 77, such an amazing inspiration in my life. And it reminds me of a verse, um, really funny story. 2 Timothy 1.5 states, I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and now dwells in your mother, Eunice. And now, I'm sure, dwells in you also. And so my, mom's, my, my grandmother was a Christian, and her name was Ruth. And my mom, the, the believer that she was, her name was Karen. Her name is Karen. And they have a faith that I'm, that I'm sure dwells in me as well. And I, and I know many in this room are the benefactors of that. So if, if you feel like you're going through this plight alone, uh, take heart. And it was funny, like after last service, this grandmother came up to me and gave me a big hug, hug and she said, my name's Lois. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. But to all the grandparents out there, all the Loises, all the grandfathers that have been walking with Christ for decades, and you might say, you know, some of the things that I've done for the kingdom are in the past. Make no mistake that your gifts are still strong. Your gifts are still needed. Your gifts are still robust. And there's a whole generation of grandchildren, a whole generation of individuals that so desperately need pouring into. And you might say, you know, my season's done, my season's passed, but for many in this room, your season is just beginning. And to the dads and the men in this room, right now we're working through a verse in summer circles. Um, it's uh, tucked all the way back in the, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Um, you, you just kind of gloss over it, but it's jam-packed. And we're in week one right now of our, our study, but it's not too late to jump in. We've got five more weeks left. We'll make another seat at the table. You could go ahead and, and jump in, and we'd love to have you. You could sign up on your communications card at the end. And so, but this verse, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock at the Hub. <laughs> we want you there, so in case you didn't know that. Uh, so 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, it says, Be watchful, uh, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. See, God isn't calling us to to act like an animal. He's calling us to act like men. 
God isn't calling you to act like a woman. He's calling you to act like men. God isn't calling you to act like a boy. He's calling you to act like men. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put aside my childish ways. Now, I just wanted to ask all the guys in the room a question. Nothing too profound, nothing too deep, but it is very direct. Where are you at right now? probably one of three places. You're following after the Lord, you're going hard, or, or maybe you're just going away from him. Or for many, you're not doing anything at all. And that's where I fear that this is kind of the lay of the land, the, this passivity that exists. Because this world, it has a current, and it's strong. And if you're not swimming against the current, you're swimming with the current. And if you're not doing anything at all, make no mistake, you're going to be swept along by the things of this world. Because it's just too strong. The devil is lulling so many of us to sleep right now. You know, his weapons are shame and guilt and just feeling like a failure. You're, If you had any idea how many men in this room just feel like they can't do it, they can't measure up, they they just can't do what's being asked of them, it would blow your mind. And what happens as men, when men are shamed, guilted, or feel like a failure, typically they're going to respond in one of two ways. They're going to respond with avoidance, just throw their hands up in there, say, I'm not going to do this, I can't. Or they're going to respond with aggression. See, this area of withdrawal is a perfect area to say, I don't care. I'm not going to swim anymore. I'm just going to go with the current. It's just this apathetic response of like, I just can't do it. I don't care. And you know what I care about? I care about me. I do what I want. I get what I want. And I'm okay with it. While everyone else around you is just waiting for you to do something. The other response is aggression. You know, you made me feel this way, so I'm going to just respond with this volcanic eruption and rule with an iron scepter, or, or maybe it looks a little bit differently. It's this whole cauldron of passive aggression. And our wives and our children, they bear the brunt of it. You know, 2019 statistics Say, of all the people that are in prison, 93% of them are male. We look around and what do we see? Workaholism. We we see rage, anger, violence, substance abuse, a pandemic, a pandemic of internet pornography and and sensuality. You know, behaviors, vengeful, unforgiving hearts, retaliation, time-wasting, 
anything to numb the pain. That this void that exists, that was only created to be filled by one person and one person alone. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. There's a crisis at hand, and sometimes you need, we need a crisis to make a change. Chasing after these idols of comfort, significance, and control. Mark 8, 35 and 36 36 says, But for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will find it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? And too many of us in this room have forfeited. We've said, I give up. We've exchanged the truth for a lie, and we chase after these things that have no eternal value. Or, bad as well, we, we chase after those things in the wrong way. We, we, you know, the verse says to be strong in the faith and stand firm. And oftentimes we look at that and we say, I'm going to do this, you know, like I'm going I'm to muscle my way through this. I, I'm going to make these changes because I can do it. But that's not where God wants us to be as men. As men, he wants us to bow the knee and say, Lord, I can't do this. I cannot do this without the power that is at work within you. To get to the place to say, Lord, I've got nothing. I can do nothing, but through you, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Standing firm in the strength of his might, as it says in Ephesians 6.1. Not in yourselves, but in the finished work of Jesus Christ. See, my father, he, he wasn't a spiritual mentor to me. But I had the gift and the blessing to have some amazing men of God pour into my life. And there's many men in here that need to be doing that to someone right now. They told me that it was okay to be on fire for Jesus. You know, it's, it's okay to raise my hands in worship. It's okay to pray out loud. You know, it's okay to show emotion. It's okay to repent and know and understand that you did something wrong and to ask for, for forgiveness, and to step into the things that God actually has for you, which aren't shame, which aren't guilt, which aren't failure. It's okay not to chase after glitz and glam, riches, accolades, everything this world has to offer. And it's okay to say, I want to put my wife and family first. It's okay to fall passionately in love with your Savior. Some of us, we don't need to be changed in this room. We don't need a band-aid. We don't need 10 steps to a better you. Actually, what we need is to be reborn. If you know Christ, if you don't know Christ, that doesn't matter because the same gospel that saves you is the same gospel that sanctifies you. You may have made a decision to follow Christ, 
But that doesn't mean you get a free pass. You need to draw close to the Lord right now and really think and pray and and contend about, God, what are you asking me to do? We need to remember. We need to remember who we are in Christ. We We need to remember whose we are. We need to remember the great plans that God has for your life. You see, Titus was commendable. Titus was dependable. Titus was tested. Titus was the benefactor of discipleship. And one more thing, Titus was commissioned. Paul states in verse 23, As for our brothers, they are the messengers of the churches. The glory of Christ. Brothers, we are the messengers of Christ. The glory of Christ. You have received your commendation in order to be commissioned. Your past does not define you. You know what defines you? The finished work of Jesus Christ. So don't respond with apathy. Don't respond with aggression. Don't, be, don't respond uh, with, with saying, I can't do this. Repent. Fall into the arms of a loving father that looks at you and is well-pleased. Step in to the man that God created you to be. There's eternity waiting for you. You are the sons of a great king. We have received our commendation in Christ. Lord, we're thankful for knowing you. And God, I just pray that anyone who doesn't would just hold fast to you. God, it's such a blessing to be part of what you're doing. Lord, that you would just set hearts right. God, whatever that means, however that means, but Lord, that you would draw all of us close to you and recognize that that you are God and you are with us.